Hi, my name's Ryan Perry. I'm the pastor at Seneca Baptist Church, and we are so thankful that you're joining us in this online resource. Our prayer for you is that this resource would not replace your active involvement in a local body of Christ, but would rather be supplemental to it. If you are interested in getting further connected to the ministry of Seneca Baptist Church or to giving financially, please visit our website, SenecaBaptist.org. Thank you and enjoy. And all God's people said, Amen. I hope that you know that you're a child of God today. Um, If you got your Bible... Grab your Bible, go to Joshua chapter 2. Joshua chapter 2, that's what Miss Haley has read for us. So we're not going to read that again, but I'm going to walk through that text. So you're going to need your Bible to, to see what we're doing. Thank you, Pastor Ken. Brother Ken just held it up. Um, and so last week we started a, a sermon series in the book of Joshua, Be Strong and Courageous. And um, we just talked about why we need that so much right now. Uh, and how the world that we're living in just seems to be adding some pressure uh, against us. And I've found myself over the past year, year and a half, being fearful at times. Maybe you have found yourself there with me. And uh, whether, it's, whether it's fearful of the state of our country, or the, the direction that it might be going one way or the other, um, or the state of uh, the school system for a lot of parents with children, or the state of the church, and what is the, where is the church going, and what's happening in the church, or just a lot of different things have caused me fear. I don't know about you, but it's, it's been an interesting year, and I've found myself being anxious a lot. I've found myself worrying a lot. I've found myself fretting over this and that. I've even found myself at times losing heart over all that I've seen going on. Are you with me? And, uh, and so we began praying back in uh, May, as a staff, we met together and we just said, hey, I, well, let's do a theme for the year. A theme for the year. What would the Lord lead us to? And we felt like the Lord was leading us to Joshua chapter 1, verse 9 as our theme for the year. And so I want to have this up on the screen for us. And I want you to read it with me. All right, are you ready? Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And so our prayer for our church is, whether it's the six weeks that we're going to be directly talking about Joshua, or in the year to come where this is the theme of our church for the year, that the words of Joshua 1-9 would get way down deep in our hearts. We begin to believe them. We talked a little about last week that uh, four times in chapter 1, God says to Joshua, don't be afraid. Be, be strong and courageous. Why? Because Joshua's probably a little afraid. 365 times in the entire Bible does it say, don't be afraid. Why? Because it, probably because God's people tend to be afraid every once in a while. And so that's where we are. So last week, we talked about how this command of be strong and courageous stems from two of God's precious promises, unfailing promises. And so that's what we talked about last week, unfailing promises. This weekend, I want to talk about the idea of uncommon characters. Uncommon characters. So, our goal in this series is not to just remind us don't be afraid, 
but to remind our church that we have a mission to be about. We have a mission to be about. And so in this mission that God has called us to, uh, what does that look like? Well, first, we, we know that we need to be strong and courageous. Second, I want to just let you know that God um, sometimes will use uncommon characters to accomplish His incredible plan. And so I want you to see that out of Joshua chapter 2. Now, if you've been reading uh, Joshua, or you've ever read Joshua, Joshua 2, as Haley read it just a few minutes ago, is a really odd story. Have you noticed that? So here's where we are. We're on the edge of the promised land, um, 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, and finally they're on the edge of the promised land. God says, go in. This is the first time in 40 years that he said, go in. So he tells them to go in, and uh, Joshua is now the successor of Moses. He stands up. He leads his people in, and this is exactly what he does. He sends two spies across the border into Jericho, and where do they find themselves going, right? Not a very wholesome place. They don't look for the nearest synagogue in Jericho. No, they end up in Rahab's house. They end up in Rahab's house, and she hides them there. Uh, and, and listen, we always want to assume that they were doing something holy. It's probably not the case. It's probably the case that when Joshua said, go and take the land, they said, we will, after a pit stop. And so they go in, they, they make this pit stop, and then what I want you to see in the passage is that God redeems uncommon characters. God redeems uncommon characters. How do I know that? I want to give you four ways out of this text that I know that God redeems uncommon characters. Four evidences in Rahab's life that God has redeemed Rahab the prostitute. Now, I know there are children in the room today, and, and so I'm going to give a, a, a version of what that means so you don't have to later. Um, God ordained a long time ago. Kids, if you're looking at me and you're wondering what that is, God ordained a long time ago that it would be one husband and one wife, that they should be joined together, and they should have lots of babies and fill the earth. And, and somebody like Rahab, who's a prostitute, has chosen not to live according to God's design. And instead of having one husband or one wife, they want to have bunches of husbands or bunches of wives. And they want to live outside of God's plan for their life. And so they are sinners, and everybody knows that they're sinners. And so they need a Savior too. And so that's who we're talking about today. Parents, maybe that'll be a helpful um, definition for you later. So, four ways that I know that God has redeemed Rahab the prostitute. Number one, she hid the messengers of God in her house. She hid the messengers of God in her house. In verses 1 to 7, they came to... Uh, her house, for some reason or another, that's their first stop. They come to Rahab's house, and she hides them there. She hides them. And so what it says is, uh, in verse 2, you don't have this on the screen, but verse 2 is told the king of Jericho, the men of Israel have come to spy out our land, and they've gone to Rahab's house. Go send somebody to Rahab's house to find them. So they go to Rahab's house to find him, and she says, yeah, they came, but I don't know where they went. They left, and I'm sure they went out those gates over there. You guys should go get them. But in fact, what she'd done is she'd taken the, the, the spies, the two spies, and she put them on top of the roof under a bunch of flax stalks that were laid down, and she hid them, that she hid the messengers of God. She welcomed the messengers into her home, 
and she hid them, she protected them, she knew that there was something about them, and in the passage, Rahab hid the messengers of God in her house. Secondly, she hid the message of God in her heart. She hid the message of God in her heart. I want to prove it to you out of the text. Look at verse 8. This should be on the screen. 8, 9, uh, and so on. It says, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof. Verse 9 is on the screen. It says, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, understand something. Lots of people in our day will use the title God. God. But they will mean a lot of different things. If you ask 50 people what God means to them, you'll get 512 different answers, won't you? But I want you to understand, she does not say there is some higher power that has given you the land. She uses God's covenant name. She uses his personal name. She says, I know that Yahweh has given you the land. And I want you to understand that this Rahab, this prostitute, uses the very name of God. She says, He, God, Yahweh, the one true God, has given you the land. Look, look at what it says. And that the fear of you has fallen on us, and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how Yahweh dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. Verse 11 says, And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For Yahweh, your God, He is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Do you see what the prostitute did? Rahab, she understood who sent them. She understood who they belonged to. She knew about Yahweh, the one true living God. And not only did she hide the messengers in their home, but she was hiding the message of God in her heart. She was hiding the message of God in her heart. I want you to understand, this is all about Jesus this morning. This is all about Jesus this morning. This is all about how God, through Christ, chooses to redeem people. This is all about how, whether we're sinners or we think we're saints, whether we've been raised up in the church or we've been raised up outside the church, whether we've kept all the rules or broken all the rules, this morning this is all about that each one of us, you and I, need redemption. Each one of us, you and I, whether we're the younger brother in the prodigal son who runs away and squanders all the money, or we're the older brother who stays home and keeps all the rules trying to impress the Father, we both need redeemed. Good deeds and bad deeds cannot get you into heaven. We need to be redeemed whether we think we're a sinner or whether we know we're a saint. We need to be redeemed. We need to be redeemed from our our wickedness or our self-righteousness. Each one of us needs to be redeemed in this place today. And I want you to know that this story in the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 2, is all about how Jesus can do that in your life and mine. And the first thing I want you to see is the message always comes to us through a person, through a messenger. The message always comes to us. And I just need you to know, according to the Scripture today, these messengers did not have it all together, did they? Of all the houses in Jericho that they could have picked to go into, where did they find themselves? Not the right one. 
But I want you to understand that in the midst of their sin, God had ordained that the message would get to, to Rahab. And so, she not only received the messengers into her house or and hid them or welcomed them in, but she had received the message of God into her heart. She knew who the one true living God is. She knew that all of the other gods of the world were the false gods of the world, but Yahweh is the one true living God, and she says the fear of Him has fallen on us all, and she says the Lord, your God, He is God in heavens above and on the earth beneath. She had received or hidden the message in her heart. The third thing that I want you to see in the passage is that she begged God for mercy. She begged God for mercy. Let me show that to you in verse 12. Now then, please swear to me by Yahweh, by the Lord, that as I have dealt kindly with you, you will also deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. I want you to understand that Rahab today is providing an incredible picture of what it means for a sinner to turn to Jesus. This is exactly what it looks like when we get saved. I remember the day that Mike and Leslie trusted in Christ. You know what they had to first do? They had to first understand that they were sinners and needed mercy and then trust in Jesus for mercy. And that's exactly what Rahab is doing right here. She says, I know who your God is. And I'm asking you to swear by his name that you will deliver us from the death that we deserve. Did you know that as Christians, each one of us is doomed to a death that we rightfully deserve? We're doomed. We're, we're headed there. I need you to know the good news of Jesus is not all about the love of Jesus. It is about the love of Jesus. But we can't know the love of Jesus apart from his righteousness and his wrath and his justice. It's a two-sided coin. To understand the Bible, we need to understand that the Bible does not, has not been given us so that we might keep it and find ourselves saving ourselves. Have you ever tried keeping the Ten Commandments? How'd you do? I made it till about 7.32 this morning. But... The Bible is given to show us our sin. The Bible is like a mirror that I look into where it's perfect. And in that mirror of perfection, the perfect character of God, the perfect character of Jesus the Son, I see all of my imperfections. And I'm not left in that mirror of God's holiness and perfection going, wow, I'm great. I'm left in the mirror of God's perfection saying, wow, I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. I know that I can't save me and I need mercy. And that's exactly what Rahab does. Rahab in the story is not trusting in her own goodness to get me out. Um, she's trusting in the Lord. Swear by the Lord. I know who he is. Swear by him that you'll save me. Do you hear that? She, she, she hid the messengers in her house. She hid the message in her heart. And she is begging God for mercy. Not only did she beg God for mercy, but fourth, this is the way that I know Rahab, this uncommon character, is being redeemed as we speak. This is how I know she trusted in God's redemption. She trusted in God's redemption. I want you to look at, at verse 18. Verse 18 says, Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. 
And you shall gather into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who's with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless, guiltless with respect to your oath that you made, with, uh, you made us swear. And she said, according to your word, so be it. Then she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in her window. Let me tell you what's happening. She is trusting in God's redemption. She's trusting that God will save her alive through the judgment of God upon Jericho. That's what she's doing. How do I know that? And I just want you to know, this is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. This is an Old Testament picture of the work of Jesus Christ. What's she tie in the window, everybody? Scarlet cord. Scarlet cord. Now listen to me. What it says, it says in there, um, this is a Ryan Perry version, everybody who's in the house is under the protection of the sign or seal of God's redemption. Everybody who's out of the house, their blood is on their head. But if they come under the scarlet cord, under the thread of God's redemption, they will be saved alive through the judgment of God. Because judgment's coming. There's only one way to be saved. It's not to flee, because the judgment of God will get you. It's not to be righteous because the judgment of God will get you. Here's what the solution to the judgment of God is. You come and you hide under the sure sign of God's redemption, which is a scarlet cord in the window. You come under the protection, not of people, but uh, under the protection of the scarlet cord. What in the world is the scarlet cord? Now, there's a preacher of old who says, you cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds the blood of Christ. There's another one who says, all through the Bible runs the scarlet thread of redemption. Now here's what I want to show you that I just love. This is so clear, this scarlet thread of redemption, that everybody who comes under this cord of redemption will be saved from the judgment of God. It's, so, it's all through the Bible. I want you to go in your brains, go back, to Genesis chapter 6, there's a story of Noah and the flood. And God tells Noah, build an ark. Do you remember the story? And there was the judgment of God at the wickedness of sin that was coming upon the world. And he said, open the ark, open the doors. Everybody who wants to come into the ark will be saved from the judgment of God. Do you know what it says? Noah and his family went in. Nobody else came in, so God closed the door. You want to know why? This is a speculation because Noah didn't have the guts to close the door on people that he loved. God closed the door. I want you to understand that there's going to come a day in our lives where God's going to close the door and if you've not trusted in the scarlet cord of redemption before God closes the door, it'll be too late. He closed the door and he, everybody who was under the protection of the ark was saved through the judgment of God, not from it, through it. Are you with me? There's the word that it was covered with pitch. It was covered with pitch. The ark was. 
It's one of the same words that's used for the atoning sacrifice of Jesus. That you're covered with the pitch of Jesus' blood. And so if you will come under Jesus' scarlet blood, you will be saved through judgment, not from it. There's another story in Exodus chapter 12 and following. There's like the Passover and like the lamb. Do you remember the story in Exodus about how there was coming a night and it was the last and final plague of the judgment of God upon all the gods of Egypt? And the final plague was that God would kill the firstborn of every home. Any firstborns in here? And God provided a scarlet cord in that day. He said, if you want to be saved from the judgment of God, from the angel of death that's coming against the wickedness of this land, take a lamb, a spotless lamb. And you apply the blood of that lamb, pour it in a basin, you take it with branches, and you apply it to the doorposts and the lintel of the home. And everybody who comes in the door under the protection of the blood of the Lamb will be spared from the judgment of God that rightfully falls. But every home that does not apply the blood to the home and every person that doesn't come under the protection of the blood is going to be judged. This is just like what Rahab's doing, isn't it? There's a scarlet cord that runs all the way through redemption. And I just want you to understand this is just like Jesus. This is just like Jesus. I want you to understand that Jesus did not come to make you a better person. He did not come to rough out the, but, or the scrapes, um, to buff out the 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 unrighteous spots in your life, let me tell you what Jesus came to do. He came to save you from the wrath of a holy God. He came to spare you from wrath that was directly aimed at us. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 3 says, By nature we are children of wrath. That's bad news. That means you, you and I can't help it. Leave me alone long enough don't let divine intervention come into my life. Guess what? I'm not going to get better. I'm only going to get worse. And there's wrath coming for my sin. Well, I'm not that bad of a person. Whether you've committed one sin or a million sins, we're sinners. And therefore, we've earned the just punishment of a holy and perfect God who in His righteousness must punish sin. Just like a judge must punish lawbreakers, there must be a penalty for breaking the law. You would call that judge good and righteous. If he were to let people off flippantly, oh, you, you drove through a school zone at 100 miles an hour, you sideswiped a school bus, you took out children going across the path, I know it was an accident. 
Bless your heart, you must have been having a bad day. You wouldn't call that judge good. You'd call him evil. How much more does God, the righteous judge, how much more must he punish the sins of mankind? And because of the sins that you and I have committed, we've earned the consequences of my sins. Death, separation, eternal separation from him in a place called hell. Yet there is a provision. There is a scarlet cord that you can tie in the window of your heart. And if you will put that scarlet cord there, if you will trust under the scarlet cord of Jesus' blood, you also can be redeemed like Rahab has been redeemed. You can be saved from the wrath of God, not because of what you can do, but because of what Jesus has done on your account. That makes me want to shout. It's good news. Why? Because there's hope for me. It doesn't matter where I came from. It doesn't matter whose house I stayed at last night like Rahab's house. It doesn't matter where I woke up. It doesn't matter what I've done. What matters is not who I am or who uh, how, how well I can behave, but it's about trusting that Jesus has been perfect uh, and he credits his perfection to my sinful account. It means that he takes my sinful account and cancels the debts that stand against it. It's all about him. And she, she hides the messengers in her house and the message in her heart and she begs God for mercy and she, she hides under, trusts in God's redemption. And Colossians says it like this, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. So when God looks at you, believer, he sees Jesus. Your sin covered by Jesus's perfection. Your guilt covered by Jesus's innocence. Your shame covered by Jesus's righteousness. Your stain covered by Jesus's blood. Your debt nailed to Jesus's cross. Now I want you to look at verse, I want you to go forward in your Bible to chapter 6, verse 25. It should be on the screen. 6.25 says it like this. But Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive. Hey, do you remember what Joshua means? Joshua means the Lord, my salvation. The Lord, our salvation. Guess what the name Jesus means? Yahweh. Yahshua. Yeshua. It means the Lord, my salvation. Every, she trusted in the spies' words. She came underneath God's promise of redemption. She hid herself in the house under the scarlet cord and Joshua saved her alive. And I just need you to know if you will hide yourself in the house of Jesus, Yeshua, our Messiah, Jesus will save you alive through the judgment of God. And she lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. I want you to look at that. Not only did he save her alive, but she began to live in Israel with all the Israelites. She became one of God's covenant people that day. Isn't that awesome? Do you know that when you trust Jesus, you become one of His people? 
You become not just one of his people, but you become one of his children. We just sang all about it, didn't we? I'm chosen, not forsaken. I am who he says I am. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my father's house, there's a place for me. Why? Because of the blood, the scarlet cord of Jesus. Have you trusted in Jesus? Now listen to me. I don't mean have you gone to church? Did you grow up in church? Did you go to catechism? Did you, did, you, did you get baptized at some point or another? None of those things save you. None of those things do. But have you trusted in Jesus? There's a big difference. There's a big difference. She was an Israelite by faith, and you can be a, people, a person of God by faith too. Secondly, I want you to see in this passage she was redeemed for a purpose. Redeemed for a purpose. So, uh, stay there at Joshua chapter 6, verse 25. Rahab the prostitute and her father's household and all who belonged to her, Joshua saved alive, and she has lived in Israel to this day because she hid the messengers whom Joshua sent to spy out Jericho. She lived in Israel to this day. Now that's an important statement. Not just because she was made uh, one of the citizens of God's people that day. Not just because she now belonged to Yahweh. Not just because she was now a child of the one true living God. But it's important because when we hear Rahab's story, we need to understand what God continued to do through Rahab in the, the near, the short term, and in the long term. In the short term, God used Rahab to hide the messengers, so that those spies could spy out Jericho to know how to attack Jericho, so that Jericho would fall and Israel would take the land. God used Rahab, this unsightly, ungodly, sinful woman, in his redemption plan, shortly after she trusted in God's mercy. Short term, if it weren't for Rahab, maybe things in the scriptures would have been a little different. But Rahab was used. She was redeemed for a purpose. Short term, the people came into the promised land through Rahab, but long term. Long term. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 1, verse 5. The genealogy of Jesus. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that Ryan's going to take us to the genealogy of Jesus. Look at verse 5 and verse 6 says, And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab. Rahab is included in the lineage of Jesus. She's one of four women in the entire genealogy of Christ. And she is a, a former prostitute. Aren't you glad that God can take a sinner and use them? Listen to this. Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, that's the book of Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. Ha! Rahab became the great-grandmother of King David. Isn't that God news, or good news? That's God news. Isn't that good news? God can take 
a redeemed person, no matter the past that they've come from, and use them to bring about great things. Why? Not because they're special, but because He's good. It's good news. Why would God do that? I just want you to understand this morning, if you feel unqualified, you're on the right team. If you feel like you don't have any skills, great. He doesn't use the qualified or the gifted or the skilled or the talented or the passionate. God uses vessels of clay, jars of clay. Why? To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to man. Just imagine the disciples, every one of them, they were Torah school dropouts. They'd all been to Torah school at one point in time or another, and the rabbis of the day would have chosen the most gifted and bright uh, students, and they would have said, come follow me. And those students, that group of students, would have, at a young age, like, like seven or eight years old, would have begun to follow in Torah school. And then at 12 or 13, the rabbi would call out a more select group of those who would have shined brightly in Torah school. And he would have said, come follow me. And let all the rest go. And they would have gone back to the, the trades of their parents or the trades of their families. And now you've got these fishermen... Torah school dropouts. Nobody saw them as good enough. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 comes up to them and says, come follow me. Did, did, did Jesus choose the Torah school honor roll to follow him? <laughs> Quite the opposite, in fact. Throughout the story of God's redemption plan, throughout the Bible, God chooses uncommon characters to use in his great redemption plan. Let me prove that to you. Noah, Noah was a drunkard. Abraham was old, a liar, and often a coward. Sarah was impatient. Jacob was a cheater. Moses was a stutterer. Rahab was a prostitute. Gideon was insecure. Samson had woman problems. David was a murderer. Elijah struggled with depression. Jonah ran from God. James and John had tempers. Matthew was a tax collector. Peter had his foot in his mouth. Zacchaeus was short and greedy. Martha was anxious. Simon was a zealot. Thomas was a doubter. Paul was a persecutor. And God used each one of them in his incredible plan of redemption. That means that those that God redeems, He redeems for a purpose. He redeems them on purpose for a purpose. He doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. He doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. He uses those whom he sees fit. And I want you to know today that if you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ in him alone, then you, God has a purpose for you. Rahab had no idea that what she was about to do would have any impact beyond the Israelites conquering Jericho. I mean, just think about that. She didn't know, she didn't do this because she thought to herself, well, maybe God will use me. No, she learned who Jesus was, or who God was, and she was trusting him for mercy. She had no idea, there's no, no way that she understood that her name would be included in God's divine word to all humanity. 
Do you know, that's one of the reasons I think we can trust God's Word. Because if I was writing a, a false religious book to um, hold people captive, I'm not including people like Rahab as main characters in the story. I love that God's Word does not just reveal the good parts of the people that God uses, it also reveals the stinky parts of those people too. She had no idea that her name would be written in the Bible. She had no idea that she'd become the great-grandmother of King David. She had no idea that God would use her to bring forth the lineage of King Jesus, who would come from the tribe of Judah. Rahab would become the many, many great-time, or, or many, many-time great-grandmother of Jesus. She's one of four women included in the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew. Rahab no, had no idea that her name would be written in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. She had no idea, but God did. You see, God doesn't want your skill this morning. He wants our surrender. It, remember, we said this last week, it's, it's not so much that God has a mission for His church in the world, but rather that God has a church for His mission in the world. And the question is not, am I prepared? Am I skilled? Am I talented? Am I passionate? The question is, am I available? Are you available today? I want to be used. I want to be God's man for His mission. And guess what? God can use you and me like He used Rahab. He can use you and me to alter eternity for folks. He can use you and I to share the good news of Jesus with people so that their eternities are forever changed. He can rewrite history through willing people. And He's willing to do that today. God's mission was to redeem you and to use you and I in His plan of redemption toward others have we forgotten that God redeems uncommon characters for His plan? Sometimes I feel like we think that God has redeemed us so that we can be redeemed. What do you do? Nothing. You're redeemed now. Praise God. You're in the club. No, we're redeemed for a mission. We're redeemed for purpose. We're redeemed to be used. He doesn't want our skill. He wants our surrender. He doesn't need me to have it all together just to be available. Don't ever underestimate what God could do with you. What He could do with our simple obedience to His mission in our lives. In a minute, we're going to sing a song. Um, a story. It's a, it's a song called, I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. You ever heard of that song? I have decided to follow Jesus. You know that song, okay. Uh, maybe you don't know the story behind it. About more than 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales called the Welsh Revival. And as a result of the Welsh Revival, there were lots and lots of missionaries that came from Wales to northeast India to spread the gospel. And there's a region in northeast India called Assam. And it was comprised of hundreds of people groups who were primitive and aggressive. And, and they were even headhunters at the time. And so into those hostile territories, those aggressive communities, came a group of missionaries from the American Baptist Mission spreading the message of love and peace and hope in Jesus Christ. Naturally, they weren't welcome. 
one missionary finally succeeded in converting a man, his wife, and their two children. The man's faith proved to be contagious. And many villagers began to accept the truth of Christianity. They trusted in Jesus as their Savior and Lord. And so the chief was infuriated. And so the chief summoned all the villagers, and he then called the family who had first converted to renounce their faith in public or to face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man said, I have decided to follow Jesus. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief ordered his archers to arrow down the two children. As both of their boys lay twitching on the ground, the chief asked, will you deny your faith? You have lost both of your children. You'll, you'll lose your wife too. But the man replied, Though none go with me, still I will follow. The chief was beside himself with fury, and he ordered the man's wife to be arrowed down. And in a moment, she joined her two children in death. And now he asked for the last time, the chief asked for the last time, I'll give you one more opportunity to deny your faith, and you can live and in the face of death, the man said the final memorable lines, the cross before me, the world behind me, no turning back. And in an instant, he was shot dead like the rest of his family. But with their deaths, a miracle took place. Lean in for a second. A miracle took place. The chief who had ordered the killings was so moved by the faith of the man, he wondered, why should this man and his wife and their two children die for, for some man who lived in a faraway land some 2,000 years ago? There must be some remarkable power behind the family's faith, and I too want to taste that faith. In a spontaneous confession of faith, he declared, I too belong to Jesus. When the crowd heard this from the mouth of their chief, the whole village accepted Christ as Lord and Savior. See? God redeems uncommon characters. This man nameless to us, had no idea what his confession of faith to the point of death would accomplish. But God used that man's confession to transform an entire area. God uses uncommon characters. So I have two questions for you. Have you decided to follow Jesus? Not go to church. Have you decided to follow Jesus? And are you willing to let Him use you? Would you stand with me?
Let's pray. And then we're going to sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. Father, I, I pray that by your grace this morning, according to your mercy, that you'd save anybody who needs to be saved in this room this morning. That, that anybody who's trusting in their own morality or goodness would stop trusting in, in a vain endeavor. And they would start trusting in what Jesus has done through his death on the cross for them. Father, I can't convince them of that, but you can. So would you? Father, and for many of us, we're uncommon characters. We're no names in the big history of redemption. But you can use uncommon characters in your plan. Would you use us and would you use little old Seneca Baptist for your glory and your mission? In Jesus' name, amen. If God's leading you, you respond.